We are swiftly winding down towards the end of the year and the start of the season of festive holiday feasts. So As We Eat is proud to bring you a new serving of more of our favorite pies. We've previously talked about the origins of pie and dug up the sweet history of treacle tarts, American apple, tangy meringue, and more. Today, we're on the scent of two great classics, pecan pie and mincemeat pie. So relax, enjoy a cup of coffee or tea, and let As We Eat whisk you off to Pieland for the third time. Welcome to As We Eat, where we explore the intersection of food, family, history, and culture. We think there's something magical that happens when people get together and share food. Conversations seem to happen a little more naturally. We talk about our commonalities and our differences. We share stories, memories, and recipes. And we'll use food to take a journey that explores our human experience. Share some fun facts and some that aren't so fun. Talk about food history and how food connects and defines us. So if you've ever eaten, prepared, or shared food, then this podcast probably has something for you. I lay... Hey, Kim, how are you? Oh, well, I have a lot to be grateful for. I have a lot of blessings that I am counting. As I announced not so long ago, we had a pretty big family medical scare and we are well on the road to recovery, but man, it's taken some time and many, many cups of broth and tea to get us to a point where I can say, we're on the mend and everything's going okay. How about you? Well, I just have to say I'm so happy that we are on the mend as well because that was scary and it's it's hard. It's hard going through those types of things, keeping your spirits up and getting enough rest. Yeah, that definitely proved to be quite a challenge, but I'm grateful for the love and support that we've had from our family and friends. And um, as I said, my husband's on the mend and we're doing well and I get to look forward to the Thanksgiving holiday with a great amount of thanks to give. Absolutely. Yeah. We're doing good over here too, boy. It is getting cold. Yeah. We had minus four the other day. So yeah, not a lot of snow, but some pretty cold weather. But I actually have a new car, so I'm very excited and also very thankful. I am now a little bit more independent because we were down to one car, as you know. (laughs) And uh, it's a little difficult getting stuck in a space and having to rely on other people to run errands, pick things up, and not being able just to jump in the car and go and do some things that you want to do. So I'm thankful for my new car. Her name is Ruby. Hey, Ruby. She's very pretty. (laughs) Can't wait to meet her. (laughs) (laughs) Well, speaking of Thanksgiving, we are in pie season. And I am... Also thankful that we get to bring a new episode in our annual pie episode tradition to everybody because this is one of my favorite topics that we cover. I always have a lot of fun going <laughs> discovering new pie lore and history with you. And so we have some really great ones to talk about today. One of my favorites, pecan pie. And then I'm going to talk about mincemeat pie. I'm very excited to hear a little bit more about mincemeat too. But let's talk about pecans. All right, let's. Okay, so I should probably start out with a pronunciation lesson for this pie. In my research, I was able to find four variations of the name of this North American nut. Pecan, 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 and pecan. But the story that I really like the best that communicates how to properly, and please note the air quotes here, (laughs) pronounce 
pecan is from a conversation overheard in a southern diner. Now, when asked how to pronounce the name of the sticky, sweet, crunchy pie set before a patron, the waitress said, Well, here we don't call it pecan pie. That's what truckers use when they're behind schedule and don't want to make any more rest stops. Here, we call it pecan. Now, it's completely up to you how you want to pronounce this word, but I'm betting that the next time you try to decide, you'll remember this cute little story. And if you decide to use one of the other pronunciations, I really hope that this little story brings a smile to your face. <laughs> now that we still don't know what the proper pronunciation is, let's take a quick look at the history of the pecan. Something that I didn't know until we started our research on this topic is that pecans are native to North America. They grew along the Mississippi River tributaries as far north as Illinois and Iowa and as far south as the Gulf Coast. And there are actually trees along the Mississippi River that are over 200 years old and wow. are still producing pecans, really? which is really cool. That is yeah. so cool. Yeah. And according to many of the sources that I found, the name of the nut is from an Algonquin word, which apparently the French adopted. But the original Algonquin word means nut, so hard as to require a stone to crack. <laughs> no. They hadn't met pistachios yet, had they? No. Yeah. Oops. <laughs> Clearly not. Clearly not. But, you know, I want to take a really quick side trip here because I love that one word can hold within it so much meaning. And if you've listened to our podcast over the past few months, you know that Eric, Josie, and I have been in Montana for about six months. And we live around several Indian reservations. And one of the things that I really love that's fairly new is that they have started installing highway signs with a native word for the location along with the translation. So in addition to something like Evro Hill, the Salish name, which I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce, means small clearing on the hilltop. I just, oh, I, I love that yeah. it's not this, I own this space, yeah. but rather this is where we're coming to. Yeah. You you arrive at this small clearing on the hilltop. So Oh, I anyway. really like that too. Just a quick aside. So back to our pecan history. The nut has been a staple food for the natives who would actually time migrations with the pecan harvests and would use them in exchanges and barters. There is evidence in both Texas and Louisiana that as early as 6750 BC, indigenous people were gathering and using pecans. Wow. Yeah. And this, I think, is super cool, too. The popular modern cultivars that are cultivated now retain the names of many of the native nations, Pawnee, Cheyenne, Mohawk, Choctaw, and Wichita. That's really interesting. I thought so, too. Now, as with any crop that's destined for commercial production, the native trees were grafted, modified, grown. Pecan trees are much like apple trees in that if you plant a pecan, it will not produce the same exact tree. So they have to be grafted in order to, to reproduce. Oh, really? That flavor. Yeah. So if you took an apple yeah. seed from your favorite apple and planted it, you will not get that favorite apple. You will get something different. That's crazy. It's very interesting. So anyway, they have cultivated these trees that produce a shell that doesn't require a really big rock to crack through them. Although, like I mentioned before, there are many wild trees that still produce pecans and they are marketed. As the nut became more available, recipes using it began to appear. And because peak harvest times are from late September through November, this nut became very popular in holiday baking. 
The first recipe for pecan pie didn't appear until the 19th century. And in reviewing them, they're very different than what we think of as the typical pecan pie. They're more like a meringue pie. Now, in 1898, a recipe from the Goshen Daily Democrat included sugar, milk, flour, eggs, and pecans, and it was topped with this meringue, and it was sprinkled with additional chopped pecans. So a little bit more like... I'm trying so hard to imagine this. I'm sorry. I know. It's not even, it's not a custard pie because the milk isn't cooked. It's all mixed together, and then it's put into a pie crust, and then once it's baked, it's topped with meringue and sprinkled with chopped pecans. When I was doing the research, there's several recipes that were very similar to this one. Kate McDermott, I'm paging Kate McDermott. We would love to hear a little bit more from you on this if you have any insight into what the heck this thing would be like. So now the first recorded recipe that closely approximates today's pecan pie is said to be from an 1898 church charity cookbook from St. Louis but it was submitted by a woman from Texas. Now, I could not find this cookbook anywhere, but it doesn't mean that it isn't true. As we discussed in our community cookbook episode, these women were never looking for fame or fortune. They were supporting causes that were very dear to their hearts. And unfortunately, many of these cookbooks never saw a second publishing after they met their intended goal. And I do love the concept that it may have been created through the ingenuity or the inspiration or even the desperation of a simple homemaker just wanting to bring some sweetness into the lives of her family and friends. Mm -hmm. We've talked so many times about how food brands and campaigns have had huge impacts on the foods that we eat or the foods that we once ate but that are now demonized. And you can once again thank a food brand for bringing what we view as the quintessential pecan pie to the forefront. Kim, do you have a guess what this brand could possibly be? It's on the tip of my tongue, but all I can think of is corn syrup. Is it? That's right. It's corn syrup. Is it Kato? It is. Kato's? Is it what? Caro. Caro. Wait, is it Caro corn syrup? It is absolutely Caro corn syrup. And sadly, this is one of those foods that really has landed on the demon list. But friends, it is a necessity in the kitchen. You cannot make a proper fudge without it. Caramel popcorn requires it. And, you know, you could substitute molasses in pecan pie, but it just isn't the same. Mm -mm. As with all things, moderation is key. True. Now, there are variations of this pie, as with all pies, that have sprung up here and there. But for the most part, the caro pie, which is what it is still called in some parts of the South, has insinuated itself as the classic pecan pie recipe. Though, there are some who think this pie is far too rich. And that certainly appears to be the case for Marjorie Kinnon Rawlings. And if that name doesn't ring a bell. She is the Pulitzer Prize winning author of The Yearling. She also authored a book called Cross Creek, and it's essentially her memoir of the 13 years that she lived in this itty bitty town in Florida, like it was made up of seven families. Whoa. <laughs> it's a little it, too small. And it's very small. It was written in 1942, that time mm-hmm. period. It's a little bit different than now. But it's a really lovely book that celebrates nature, small town life, and fortitude. But she also authored the Cross Creek Cookery Book. 
The introduction on the book jacket calls it a mouthwatering, evocative, and charming conversational discussion of cooking at Cross Creek. And it's in this book that Marjorie discusses her thoughts on what she calls true Southern pecan pie. So the head note for or her introduction into this true Southern pecan pie, she says, it is one of the richest and most deadly desserts to her knowledge. She compares it to an English treacle pie, except that this English treacle pie is insulted with a cooked down syrup, and then insult is added to injury by adding these rich pecan meats. (laughs) She says... It is a favorite with folk who have a sweet tooth, and fat men in particular are addicted to it. <laughs> and then she goes, <laughs> and then she goes on to give the recipe, and the title that she has given this true Southern pecan pie is "Utterly Deadly Southern Pecan Pie." <laughs> After she gives this recipe, she gives her recipe. And she she talks about in the head note of this recipe, she says she's had some of the utterly deadly Southern pecan pie. (laughs) And she also served it to those whose welfare she had no care for. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. But because she is inclined to plumpness Mm -hmm. and she does want to remain on the earth a little bit longer. Yes. She has developed this new recipe. Okay. And she says about her recipe, it is not a confection like the other, the utterly deadly Southern pecan pie, but it's rather much more reasonable. So essentially, it is a custard pie that you make with brown sugar rather than white sugar. And then you add two tablespoons of butter to that. And after the pudding has set, you mix in the broken pecan meats and one tablespoon of vanilla. And then you put it into your pie crust. Mm. You do, however, top it with whipped cream, which is deadly enough. (laughs) And I will include both of these recipes in our show notes so that you can choose between a deadly confection or one that is more reasonable for the holiday season. Only slightly diabolical. Only slightly diabolical. Only slightly. (laughs) That sounds like a lot. Sounds like a lot of fun. Would you like to hear about mincemeat pie? I would love to hear about mincemeat pie. Cool, because this was a really fun one. (laughs) In part three of our exploration of dumplings around the world, I mentioned offhand that I was noticing a sea change return to sort of a real more heritage style recipe, one steeped in tradition and intention. And I felt that these gestures towards comfort and familiarity, not that surprising given that we kind of are feeling like we're in a time of turmoil both social and personal so Mm -hmm. so those moments where we look for comfort we look for things that are familiar we look for things that remind us of a better day if you will but i wanted to temper this with with the concept of animoya which describes the feeling of nostalgia for something that you did not directly experience and i really can't think of a better word to introduce my current obsession with mincemeat pie so let me explain I have no specific memories of ever eating mincemeat pie for Thanksgiving or for Christmas. And yet when I read a mincemeat pie recipe, I can clearly taste the spices, the nuts, the dried fruit, flaky buttery crust with just a dollop of fresh whipped cream on the side. It's an instantly familiar flavor to me. But where and why? I really couldn't say. I even asked my sister, do you remember we used to make these for the holidays? And no, there's no family tradition of mincemeat pie. (laughs) 
but I'm, as I said, I'm obsessed. What mincemeat pie is, is a pie that practically screams holidays. But aside from a vague sense of its Britishness, I realized I knew nothing at all about it. So, of course, down the rabbit hole we go. To start off, let's address the elephant in the room. The modern version of mincemeat pie contains no meat, at least not anymore. Mince is a word that has multiple related meanings. To mince is to chop or to dice finely, and you get mince as a result. In Britain, this typically describes a finely chopped meat in the same way that we in the United States describe ground meat. Mince dishes can be a frugal meal where minced or ground meat is combined with other ingredients like breadcrumbs, crackers, cornmeal, rice, or vegetables, and shaped into a patty, a ball, a loaf, or stuffed into a dumpling, or added to a sauce like bolognese. And in our very first pie episode in 2020, Leigh, you took us through the history of pies. And what I recall is that some of their earliest iterations were called truncher or coffin pies. And they were just essentially a shaped pastry crust filled with something or a simple fold over pastry pie meant to be held and eaten. The earliest of these types of pies are a medieval era pastry called a chouette or chouette, depending on what kind of inflection you want to throw on that. And those are filled with some kind of minced meat or liver or fish or eel if it was a fasting day mixed with hard boiled eggs and then typically spices brought home by Christian crusaders and soldiers from the wars in the Middle East. In 1413, King Henry V served a mincemeat pie at his coronation, and it caught everybody's attention. Henry VII, who subsequently ruled England from 1457 to 1509, was also fond of serving a meaty pie as his Christmas feast dish, and ultimately this led to this mincemeat meat pie being associated with the Christmas holidays. Mince pies have been written about and chronicled by countless dignitaries. They are a very well-documented dish with a multitude of names like shred pies or shred pies that refer to shredded suet and meat, crib cakes, which allude to baby Jesus in his crib, or wayfarer's pies as served to those who are traveling. The 15th century form of curry cookbook that we've talked about before, or manuscript, if you will, contains this delightful recipe for what is called a petite pervente, which I could not find a literal translation for, but it's easily identifiable as a version of a minced meat pie. Here is the recipe in modern English. Quote, take skinned meat, present it whole and carve it raw, powder of ginger, yolks of egg, minced dates, raisins, or currants, salt a little, and look that you make a paste with yolks of egg and that no water come therefore, and form thy coffin and make up thy paste. Once again, pointing out that coffin refers to a coffin pie, not to a literal coffin. Uh, I don't think this is nearly as decadent as the uh, pecan pie. (laughs) This this type of pie is not going to send you into early grave necessarily. And I really love the sound of this chewet recipe said to come from the Tudor dynasty of the late 16th century. It does seem to evoke the majesty and pomp for which Henry VIII's court was well known. Again, in modern English, quote, Take veal and parboil it and chop it fine. Take beef suet and make it fine. Then take prunes, dates, and currants. Wash them very clean and put them into your meat. Then take cloves, mace, and pepper to season your meat withal, and a little quantity of salt, verjuice, and sugar, two ounces of biscuit, crumbs, and as many of caraways. This is the seasoning of your meat. Then take fine flour, yolks of eggs, and butter, a little quantity of rose water and sugar, 
Then make little coffins for your chewets and let bake a quarter of an hour. Then wet them over with butter. Then strew on sugar and wet the sugar with a little rose water and set them into the oven again and then take and serve five in a dish, end quote. Wow. That actually sounds tasty. Doesn't it though? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we've got veal, we've got clove and mace, we've got caraway and the prunes and dates and currants and the, the egg yolk and rose water wash. Rose water. And, oh. Yeah. And to be clear, because I had to actually substitute verjuice in, and that is the juice of, of grapes before it goes through any kind of winemaking process. So what you're looking at is a little bit of acidity or tang to that. I just wanted to make sure that was clear. <laughs> According to Historic UK, the Tudor-era minced meat pie served at Christmas was shaped in a rectangle to resemble a manger with a pastry baby Jesus on the lid. And we have a photo in the show notes to show you what that would have looked like. And this was made with 13 symbolic ingredients, such as mutton to represent shepherds and cinnamon cloves and nutmeg to represent the three wise men from the East. During the British Reformation, or the Great English Civil War, when Oliver Cromwell basically replaced the monarchy and shut down anything remotely overtly religious or with a papist flair, uh, mince pies were banned. In fact, Cromwell's Puritan mm. Council abolished celebrations of Christmas on December 22nd, 1657, and in London, soldiers were deployed to seize any food being cooked for Christmas celebration. So goose, mincemeat pie... All that right out the door. One wonders where it actually went, right? <laughs> I mean, that's a kind of a good point. When you completely ban all things that had been raised up to that point, what, A, what did the people who relied on that revenue do? Right. And what happened to all of the animals that were grown for that time right? period? According to the Oxford Companion to American Food and Drink by Andrew Smith, this is a New acquisition in the Kim Library I'm very excited about. American Puritans also looked at celebrations of Christmas Day with suspicion as December 25th was not named in the Bible as the day of Christ's birth. This meant mm -hmm. that there were to be no special festivities, church services, or festive food served that day. Everything should be business as usual, and especially yeah. not mincemeat pies because they were considered to be, quote, idolatries in a crust, end quote, because the spices used to season the dish are believed to signify the luxurious gifts of the Magi and evoked popery. I'm reminded too, when we did, we talked about potatoes and we talked about the fact that in Ireland, they were so reluctant to plant potatoes because they were not right. of food mentioned in the Bible, but they decided it was okay if you dip them in holy water and planted them on Good Friday. Right. We just have weird ways of working around things. We do. King Charles II restored Christmas when he ascended the throne in 1660, but puritanical suspicions about mincemeat pies stuck around for quite a while. In his 1744 History of the Rebellion, Marchmont Needham wrote, quote, All plums the prophet's sons defy, and spice broths are too hot. Treason's in a December pie, and death within the pot. Now, I'm going to be honest, I don't entirely get it, but it's ominous. <laughs> it does not sound very. Right? It just sort of, oh, if you ever forget that food is also not political, here's your reminder, right? I'm also right. amused in my way about this commentary on mincemeat pies by Philo Clericus. And I don't really have a date on this. Sorry, but it was interesting. Quote, the Christmas pie is in its own nature, a kind of consecrated cake and a badge of distinction 
and yet it is often forbidden, the druid of the family. Strange that a sirloin of beef, whether boiled or roasted, when entire is exposed to the utmost depredations and invasions, but if minced into small pieces and tossed up with plums and sugar, it changes its property and forsooth is meat for his master. Yeah, I, and again, I'm struggling a little bit with the whole context of this, but I did I did think it was interesting because it does call attention to that transformational element, right? It's the idea of put a steak on a plate and it's been broiled or roasted. And it's one thing, right. cut that up and mix it with plums and sugar in this case, and it's suspect or it changes its properties. It changes its value from just being food into something else. But it's the same food. Yes. Huh. Hmm. It's definitely one to pull up a chair by the fireside and gaze long into the coals and contemplate <laughs> the properties of mincemeat pie. Yes. Now, so far, I've talked a lot about the meat part of mincemeat pie, and that has changed a fair amount over time. In medieval and Tudor period, meat of choice for mince pie was lamb or veal. By the 18th century, it was more likely to be tongue or tripe. In the 19th century, it was just minced beef. The use of suet has held steady, though, and is still part of mincemeat pie tradition, even after pies evolved to be made entirely with fruit in the early 20th century. These days, a fairly traditional version of mincemeat pie calls for a composition of minced nuts, fruit, spices, and brandy that's stirred together and then baked in a pie crust. Andrew Smith has this interesting tidbit to say about the evolution of mincemeat pie specifically in the United States. Quote, Mince meat pies, mixtures of finely chopped meats, suet, vegetables, fruits, spices, and brandy, although originating in England, were so ubiquitous and had so many different recipes in the 18th and 19th centuries that they must be considered an essential American pie. When mince lost its meat in the 20th century, it was soon exiled to Thanksgiving and Christmas tables as a nostalgic, old-fashioned dessert, end quote. Oh. Yeah. So it's had this odd journey across the ocean. It is very much an English thing that very much got brought over to the United States by folks from England settling in the U.S. And even though it's been threatened a couple of times, it endures. It keeps sticking around. So some interesting last words on mincemeat pie tradition. According to Walkers, the people that make the best shortbread on the planet, and they have not paid me to say that, mm. but I believe it. Mincemeat would often be made on Stirrup Sunday which is the last Sunday before Advent. I believe we've talked about stirrup Sunday before. Yes, yes they also do plum puddings on stirrup exactly. Sunday. Exactly. Stirring minced meat was quite an event, and English tradition dictates that it should only be stirred clockwise at least once by each member of the family, because to stir minced meat anti-clockwise or counterclockwise would lead to bad luck and poor fortune in the new year. So the idea is that you each took your turn to stir the minced meat mixture in a clockwise direction. And as you did, you made a wish. And that was good fortune for the new year. And to ensure good health and happiness in the upcoming year, you should eat one mince pie every day for the 12 days of Christmas from Christmas Eve until the 5th of January. Now, for a modern and personal take on mincemeat, please listen to episode 9 of our 2021 Elementary Advent Calendar, where Leigh and special guest Crescent Dragon Wagon talk about a very special holiday mincemeat tradition. And don't forget episode 2 for our very first original pie episode, and episode 32 for our second annual pie tradition podcast episode. Pies are fascinating. Aren't they, though? I think that we could probably do an entire podcast about pies. Yeah, we probably could. 
<laughs> or an entire calendar of our favorite pies. Lay, I think you've got something to share with our friends. I do. I was inspired to create something. I needed to do something that was like tactile. Mm-hmm. So I decided that I would create a calendar. And when I was trying to figure out what this calendar was going to look like, I thought, of course, it would include food. And then I started looking through my recipe boxes and noticed how many recipes for pies that I had. And I thought, what better way to celebrate a new year than with pies? So I do have a 2023 pie calendar. Each of the months has an illustration that I have created. On the back of every single one of the cards is a corresponding recipe from my recipe box. Not only do you get the calendar, you get to collect it for your recipe boxes. I'm excited. I believe one of the recipes that you have in there is a pie that you formulated and invented for your sister. It's her favorite. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I'm really excited to to see the illustrations, to get to try the recipes. Where can we get the calendar from? I will include the link in the show notes. If you go onto my Instagram page, that's Lay L-E-I-G-H underscore Olson, there is an image of the pies. And if you click that, you can get directly to the link, but I will also include it in the show notes. I think everyone should have a pie calendar. I think this should just be a thing now, right? Yeah. Yeah. If our folks at home, if you try any of these recipes, let us know. We'd love to hear your thoughts, your takes, your photos. Tell us all about what you made. Let's show off. Yes. Why not? For more information about today's episode, check out our website at asweeat.com. Follow us on Instagram at asweeat. And please join our family recipes, traditions, and food lore community on Facebook. And so you don't miss an episode, subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And if you could spare a couple of minutes away from that pie that you're baking and rate the podcast on Apple Podcast or Podchaser or Spotify, we would be so appreciative. It really helps us to reach more food enthusiasts like you. We also publish the As We Eat Journal on Substack. and We would be so honored if you would support us by becoming a subscriber. We take tasty side trips through vintage recipes, community cookbooks, discoveries, and travel stops. There are three subscription tiers. We are sure you're going to find one that's perfect for you at asweeat.substack.com. You've been listening to the As We Eat podcast, part of our curiosity-driven project serving up how food connects, defines, and inspires by blending a bit of research with a dash of humor. Ba-ba-da-da-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba